Welcome to Church 213. We pray that the message today is a clear picture of who Christ wants to be in your life. We trust God for a miracle in the next few minutes. Thanks for listening. Hey, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. So if you have your copy of God's Word, you can just kind of hang out there for a minute. We'll get there in just a second. But as Dom, the praise team, has already said and led us so well, we're in the presence of God this morning looking for Him to show up and show out. I'm expecting that. And I hope when you get up on Sunday mornings, and I know this morning was a lot different than last Sunday morning weather-wise, you know what, you have to uh, expect God to do something because it's nasty outside. And so with intentionality, I had to get up and come to church. You know what? They say it only takes 12 drops of rain to keep 13 Baptists out of church. But I'm really glad that you were here, excited about the word, expecting the word to speak with power into our lives this morning. And so um, we're halfway through our Be the One in 21 series. And I know that, you know, it's a series, but really the messages are standalone. And I've gotten some great feedback and testimonies about how God's using each one of those messages. And so those are on our website. Um, if you haven't been to our website, you can listen online. It's also on our Facebook page, past services that, we have, um, that we've streamed. And so there's plenty of opportunities to kind of catch up. Not that you need to because they kind of stand alone, but you can kind of see how they all come together. If you're with me, say I am. So kind of where we've been, week one was start something new. Be the one in 21 who starts something new. And that was focused on personal revival. And then it was be the one in 21 who hangs in there. This is endurance. Then it was be the one in 21 who fixes things. That was, you know, relational restoration. And then last week was be the one in 21 who hits the mark. And it was talking about lifestyle evangelism. So you can kind of see the way the picture is coming together. And so this morning, be the one in 2021 who prays with power. That's my heart's desire. I want to connect with my Redeemer. Amen. I want, to, I want to communicate with my Creator. That's what we've done already this morning. We've worshipped Him. We, we've praised Him. I, it's, it's safe to say that I'm not alone. There, there's been a lot of talking to God lately in the lives of His people. Because of the, um, the world that we're living in. Schools are in. Then schools are out. What are we doing? Schools are in again. You know? I'm principal, then I'm dad. Now I'm superintendent, and now I'm dad. You know, you know I'm bus driver, then I'm dad. And it just, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of things going on. Hearts are heavy. Nation is in moral freefall. Amen. It, it just seems like, what are we doing here? The truth is elusive. Sickness is everywhere. Stress is through the roof in a lot of people's lives. And I'd be willing to bet that you've been looking for that open line to the Creator, to the Redeemer, probably more. At least I hope you would. Because when, when, uh, when things are setting up themselves in such a way, when God is all you've got, He's all you need. And, and that's kind of where we are right now. Making connection with God is the key to living life with purpose. And that connection happens through prayer. But prayer, what is it? It's scary. It can be. I hear it a lot. You know, is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? 
You have to be trained. You have to be classically trained. Do you have to know all the, the catchphrases? Do you have to stand a certain way? Do you have to use a certain tone? There's so many questions surrounding prayer, isn't there? And I think those questions are there. Why? Because it's important. Because prayer is important. It's critical to the life of a Christian. And we have to be able to, to do it effectively and often. But how? How do we do it? How do we pray with power? We know that there's power in prayer, amen? But why, how, how do we do it? And it's right there that we find ourselves in a place of stress. Because we know it's important. And I know it sounds silly, but I find it to be true that prayer kind of freaks some people out. Especially praying in public. So to kind of help you get over, I'm going to call randomly on somebody to stand up and pray. No, I'm not. But as I was saying that, you know what was happening. Oh, my word. Don't make eye contact with the preacher. Case in point, you felt that tension rise, didn't you? It's there. It's real. Especially praying out loud. But I want you to know that it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that. We, we as dad, dad and mom and teenager, it can be more. It has to be more than rub-a-dub-dub, thank God for Grubhub. It has to be more than that. Right? There, there, there's so much more. The beautiful thing about prayer is this, that we aren't left alone just trying to figure this thing out. We aren't just stumbling through, you know, uh, verbal commitments, trying to figure out what are we doing. We don't have to stumble through trial and error. The beautiful thing about God's Word is it teaches us how to pray with confidence so that we can be the one in 2021 that prays with power. I know you want to pray with power. Because you're connecting to the one that is all-powerful, almighty. And I want you to know that if you're a part of Church 213 in this partnership, we are a praying church. Now talk about partnership. We, there's, there's over 30 commands in God's word that you can't meet unless you are part of a local assembly. You can't accomplish those, those things through the will of God unless you're a part of a local body. Now, we don't have members. I like, the word, like to use the word partners. We are partners in ministry. So one of the things that we've been promoting is the C213. It's actually the first week starts next, this, this upcoming Wednesday, where it's an opportunity for if you have just become a partner with us at 213, if you've joined our faith family officially, or if you were interested in that, we ask that you take this C213 class before you make that commitment for a couple of reasons. One, not every church is for everybody. And two, this is an critical partnership in the gospel. So it is important that you get the full picture of what 213 is about, where we're rooted, what we believe, where we're going, why we do ministry, our strategy, all the things that, that you need to know before you lock in and go out through the ministry of Church 213. And so, with that being said, there is a sign-up sheet out there um, to get on board. One, if you've recently joined, or two, you're thinking about it. We ask that you go through these three weeks on Wednesday nights before that happens. Does that make sense? But we're known for a praying church. We're known for, for a praying people. And every church has an identity. Every church has an identity. And I can't think of a better label that can be placed on Church 213 than being known as a friendly and a praying church. Amen. We hear it so much. I just felt at home here. I felt like nobody was judging me. 
You know, I felt like I came in, I was noticed, I was seen, I was introduced. I sat down and I felt the Spirit of God move in our life. What could be a better testimony than, than that of a church family? I can't think of one. Prayer needs to be preached. It needs to be preached about so that there's no hesitation when God gives us the privilege to pray. But there is tension. There is questions. There is fear. I get it. So this morning, what I want to do, and it is good, I'm telling you. I hope you're locked in and you're ready. Because this, this scripture here has some power that will transform our prayer life. I want to unpack Matthew 6 and show you how the instructions of Jesus will set you free to really pray. So if you have your copy of God's Word, if you have your copy of the sword, if you have your scriptures and you're willing and able, stand with me. We're going to read Matthew 6 in honor of the power that it has, not just for this scripture, but for the other scripture that we're going to read this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 5. It says, whenever you pray, so there's automatically an assumption there that praying is part of your life. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by the people. This is Jesus talking here. He's given instruction. Everybody's on alert because he's radically turning up everything upside down. So every word that he's saying, they're hanging on it. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine... They'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Because your father knows the things you need before you even ask him. Verse 9. So pray like this, Jesus says. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You can be seated. So there's a lot right here. There's a lot of familiar words right here. Kind of nod your head if you've heard some of these words before. Most of you have. That's right. So on your notes, I want you to know this. First thing is this, that prayer is a private commitment. It's how you step into focus. Prayer is a private commitment. Look at verse 5 through 8 again. It says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by all the people. But I truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, these are the words of Jesus. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine 
and they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need them before you even ask. So here's what's going on here. We know from Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the, in, is the visible image of the invisible God. See, God is not a, a, in form, it's a spirit. And so in order to connect with us, we're giving, given his special revelation, his word, that explains to us and shows us the life of Jesus, who is a reflection of the Lord, the living creator. He knows every motivation of the human heart, which is scary in itself. Amen. So what he is after in our lives is authenticity and honesty. A private commitment. He wants real. And, and, and I want real. And you want real. Amen? You know, one of the reasons that I feel like that God is moving in this place is because we're seeing the hand of God move around us because it's a real place where, where real people feel like they can be real honest in the presence of a real God. We're not playing games here. Life's too short. Amen? To play games with a living God. We want to be real. I say it all the time. A church without broken people is what? A broken church. And so this is a place that you can lay your things. You can lay your stuff. You can lay your fears at the feet of the one that can hold it and has held it all the way to the grave. And now he is alive again to prove to us that we have everlasting hope in him. It's a place of real commitment. We can be real honest. But that wasn't the religious environment that the disciples found themselves in right here. Context is everything. See, so much of life right here was image-based. It was fake. In Matthew 23, Jesus compares some of the church leaders to whitewashed tombs. Which basically, he called them out. He said, on the outside, it's like you've been pressure washed. It's clean. You look real nice. But under the ground, it's just Dead as a hammer. It's nasty. It's, it's corpse on the inside. And they didn't like it. And it said when he, when he told them this, they gnashed their teeth, which is ground their teeth, and they tore their clothes. That's a symbol that they were ticked off. You know why? Because he just spoke truth into their life. That was true. See, religious information right here in Matthew 6, religious information was high. But relationally, it was very dry. And Jesus stepped into that moment. That's why Jesus, the, the culture, world, humanity was, was primed for Jesus to step into first century right there. It was the perfect place. And Jesus steps right into that real life with this prayer of refocus. That's the context. And so in verse 6, starting in, in chapter 6 and 5, it says, Whenever you pray, you must not be, be like the hypocrites because they love to stand and to pray. So what they were doing was this. They were standing in the synagogues, which was the Jewish church. And they would stand there, and they would stand where everybody could see them, you know, Right up in the front, right on the corner, at the, at the hub of transportation. They would stand right there and, and that, that, that there was a guarantee that people would see them. And they would pray with these loud, big, impressive words so they appeared authentic. Guess what? Jesus stepped right into that. 
it would be like if you were to text Dom and your, your text addressed it to, where are you? Where's, where's Dom is? Is he in here? I'm talking about him. Oh, he's back here. I got you. I got you. It'd be like this. It'd be like Dom if someone texts you and it was addressed to dearest Dom. Dearest Reverend Dom, a souvenir to the esteemed spiritual physician and musical philosopher. His Excellency, the only and most learned who has no second in his age. Dominic Lewis, the Baptist church worship pastor who deserves that his name be written with lights upon the eyes of the people. Rather, with gold on paper. Owner of praiseworthy character and possessor of high qualities. In the year of 2021, by the most humble. He would be impressed. Yes, there he is. That's you, my man. He would be impressed. But I know him, and and he wouldn't want any of that. That's the Bible's point right here with Babylon. Big, empty words and rhythmic words and these rhythmic spiritual sounds. That was what was so common but so nauseatingly empty to God. You see that? He didn't need all that. You're like, come on. Blowing smoke up my dress. Jesus declares that God neither needs or wants any of that. That's what Jesus is doing. He's stepping right into that. The one who prays Jesus taught must talk to God in simple and direct fashion. See, I want you to know this. That God's not interested in the appearance of spirituality, but the condition of our hearts. When we talk to him. It's real stuff. Amen. So what he does is he uses this analogy of this private closet to make his point. Closet we know in first century. Houses were tiny. There was no walk-in closet. There were no custom closet companies that came in and and rearranged all these things. Space was tight. So what's the deal with this closet? Why would he use that, 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 that wording? What he means is this. And they would get this. A closet was this private room that didn't have doors or windows to the exterior. It was called a closet, but it was really a private room. So what he's saying is, closing the door, going in and closing the door, it guaranteed guaranteed privacy. And also what it did was it removed the temptation to pray just to be seen. You see what he's doing here? He's rearranging the focus. But what he's not doing is he's not setting up more religious rules. He's not like, okay, what I'm saying is you have to go to this particular room. You have to turn on, and, and lay on this particular type of mat. You have to face this particular direction. You have to go to this building or you have to say these particular words. He's not binding up the heart. Jesus comes to give us life and give it to the full. To release us to be spirit led by his spirit. Not to be bound up. By trying to meet all the qualifications to be in his goodness, in his right standing. That comes through the death of the cross, the blood of Jesus. And so what he's doing is, he's realigning the heart of the people. And he's saying this, true disciples pray for a heavenly rather than a human audience. Knowing that God is ever present and will meet you in the moment of your greatest need. An obscure location, especially when you're alone. 
That's what the context is. That's what it says. Look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your private room. Shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. See, it's a private condition of the heart. One of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is Matthew 18.20. That says this, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be also. Well, if that's true, if this is right, is God not with me when I'm alone? You see the contradiction there? Where two or three, you got to have two or three. Go into your closet by yourself. Well, what am I doing here? Do I need to bring people with me into my closet? Because I thought she said go in there by myself. Do I need to yell out the window and wave while I'm praying? Because you said no, go into an inner room. What's the deal? See, the point of the two or three verse is the context of Christ being present in the midst of two or three people who are in agreement and looking for Christ's leadership when they confront a Christian brother or sister because they refuse to repent of their sins. It's church discipline, which is a thing if you're not aware of that. Like if you claim the name of Jesus and you are sinning in public and we know that, that there's sin in your life, then the Bible commands individually for you to go to a person and say, hey, I care about you. Here's what I'm seeing. And the Bible says that if there's uh, reconciliation, if there's repentance, then that brother is saved. But if there's a refusal, you are to take another two or three. I'm not talking about you. But I'm talking about gossip here. I'm talking about a heartfelt, we are really caring about where you are in your spiritual life. And you take two or three with you, the text is, says that it's there that the Spirit of God will bring healing where two or three are gathered around a common goal. Does that make sense? So what we're doing here is that's the point of being able to know that God is leading us to do something privately. Jesus' words are not prohibiting public prayers, praying together. That's not what this is saying. Praying together in public is powerful, isn't it? It's something special about a group of people. But the important part is this. If you want to be called on in public just where people can hear you pray, that's the wrong condition of the heart. For example, if you're with your friends at Chick-fil-A and you feel pressure to pray because you're with your church friends eating Christian chicken, but you don't have a problem with just not praying when you're eating that chicken at home by yourself before. There's a good indication that there may be a need for a spiritual checkup. That's the point here. It's a matter of the heart. Write this down on your notes. Praying to protect a Christian image is a reflection of an unhealthy spiritual life. Jesus is interested in what is real. And if you know... That what you're doing is, is not authentic, then ask God to change your heart. It's okay. That's why He steps into our lives to rearrange some things. That way we are in His will. He knows what's in here, He knows the condition of the heart. So, to be the one in 21 who prays with power, you first have to know that it's a private condition. The second thing is this prayer is a personal connection. You just want to sit with Daddy. Amen. 
Yeah, it's private. It's a private thing. But it's also a personal connection. Look at verse 9. So after he lays out kind of the condition, he rolls right into how to pray. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be thy name. So we don't have to be intimidated by prayer. We don't have to use big theological words. There are some big ones out there, I promise you. The point is this. It's simply talking humbly. And it's just talking openly with our Father who we need to know and that we need to feel. So how should a disciple pray? Jesus says you should pray like this. Now, it's not just this mindlessly, this, this you know, this mindless group of words that you say over and over in a habit. That's not it. What he's doing here is he's giving us a template. He's giving us a template. And the first request of the Lord's prayer right here, man, it just kind of flashes across the sky like lightning in a thunderstorm. It just, boom, right out of the gate. Look at verse 9. He says it. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Our template, this is good. Our template begins with this Aramaic word, Abba. Abba, Father. See, that's not the traditional Hebrew word that was normally used. And this is huge right here because Jesus was, again, he was redefining the rut of tradition. Everything has intentionality with the Lord. And one of the greatest lines in The Chosen, okay, if you're not familiar with The Chosen, it's this crowdfunded series on the life of Jesus. You go to The Chosen apps on your app store. It's called The Chosen, okay? The chosen has a great line that says this, and it's the words of Jesus. Jesus says, get used to different. And so Jesus steps into this prayer with different. See, Jesus lived in a world where public readings of the Bible, it was only in Hebrew. And prayers were to only be offered in that language. And so when Jesus took this giant step of endorsing this Aramaic, this really common word, what he was doing is he was accepting this language of prayer or worship. He was opening the door for the New Testament to be written in Greek and it to be translated later to us to over 2 billion Christians in almost every language that's found on the planet. You don't realize Jesus is doing that right here in verse 9? But he is by using the word Abba, Father. It's very personal. The point that Jesus was making by using this common word for Abba, that's what it was, it was in the common language, was that, that he was making this point. There is no sacred language and there is no sacred culture. Jesus steps into our life to make a relationship with Abba Father available to everybody. See, Islam and Judaism have sacred languages. Christianity, it doesn't. It's level. It's a level playing field. And the long-term result of this is that whoever, wherever believers are, in a cave, in a room, in church, in jail, alone, in the car, mute, blind, sick, can break into God's presence using the language of the heart of their daddy. 
Jesus is a relationship. Amen. And it all starts with Abba. He says that. Our Father, if you translate it. Abba, Father. See, in both the Old and New Testament, the word Father is used a dozen times in connection with what God is like. Like, you know, God is like a Father. He is like this. That's the way they would use it. But when Jesus broke in, he used Abba, Father, to address God personally. See, before that, it was, you say you care for me like a father. That's one thing. You know, you can care for me like a daddy, but that doesn't mean you're my daddy. You're just, like, playing the role of. But Jesus' use of father is a title that's personal. He's not saying, you are like my daddy. He's saying, you are my daddy. And this would have been revolutionary to address God as Abba, because before that, it would have been seen as impersonal and irreverent. Like, I can't believe you would even make that such a, such a personal connection. But see, when Jesus stepped into this culture, you know, in the Middle Eastern culture, Abba is the first word that most children learn. Because the culture wants to instill into that little bitty baby that a connection with a father as quick as possible changes everything. Which is why Riley will probably say daddy. Maybe not. Not if she has anything to do with it. Daddy. Why is that? Why are mamas like, baby never says mama first. He always says daddy. Daddy didn't have him. I had him. You know? Why is there this tension right there? Because when the, when the child connects with the heart of the father, it brings security. So what he's saying is, people can now address God equally. There was no historical insider. There was no historical outsider. There's no racial insider or outsider with the word Abba. He's saying, just bring your prayers to the lap of the Father. Come to Daddy. That's what he's saying. See, some people, though, I know what you're thinking. I don't know if I can do that because... I haven't had a good daddy. I've got some father wounds here. What I want you to know is this. We can't measure our heavenly father by the standards of our earthly father. What we do is we measure our earthly father by the standards of the heavenly father. Who is the perfect daddy? Write this down, it's on your notes. Bad dads are a fact, they're not an excuse. We have to refocus our heart, not on what we've experienced in the brokenness here, but we have to focus our eyes on the one that promises to never leave us, and never forsake us, and wants us to give our hearts to him and let him hold them, because he promises and he's equipped that he will handle those with the most tender care. So I want you to know, a daddy wound that you've got, it's not a reflection of the Heavenly Father. You take that to the feet of Jesus. I want you to know, church, that you can put your prayers, you can put your prayers in the hands of an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, perfect example of daddy. Bring it to the Abba Father. Amen? Bring it there. A loving father is approachable. But yet, he's awesome in majesty, 
And all of the heavens declare His glory. Man, that, when you get a glimpse of that, that's why you kneel in prayer. Not because you're trying to check some box. Not because you're trying to, to make some other religious leader happy. You do it because you're in the presence of majesty. Prayer is a personal connection to the king who has adopted us to be his kid. Woo! I know who my daddy is and he don't make no junk. You've seen those shirts. I know I'm somebody because God don't make no junk. We have been through Christ. We have been adopted. We have been grafted in to majesty. We have a seat at the king's table. Amen? Third thing is this. Prayer is a pledge of allegiance. It causes us to stand. Look at verse 9 and 10. So Jesus is not given the rules to prayer. Remember, it's a template. Verse 9, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love the way this is flowing right here. It's a beautiful flow of prayer because it takes you from a place of pure motives. Like check your heart. God knows what's in there, so check it. Then it takes you to a place of personal connection. Take it to the Father. Take that stuff that you've revealed when you've shined the light in. Take that stuff that God has revealed and take it to Abba Father. And then let that take you to a place of reverent allegiance. See, when we go to an important place, um, you know, let's just say maybe the state capitol. Or if we take our family to see an important person, let's just say the governor. We want to look our best. We, we, uh, we want our kids to act like they've got some home training. You know, we threaten them. Like, I brought you into this world, I'll take you out type thing. You know, make another one look just like you. We've even used those words. <laughs> Let me take you out. What we, what we were saying is this. The conditions that we're about to step into should lead us to change and rearrange kind of what we look like. Before we get out of the car, there's this high standard that's expected. And so, we have a saying at our house, don't embarrass the family. Don't, please, just don't embarrass the family. I'll tell Parker, you know, sometimes when he leaves to, to go back to school, I'll say, son, you're not the only Wyatt in this world. Don't embarrass the family. And that's the focus here. The focus is we, we must pray that his character, his holy name, be recognized and honored as holy. That's the template. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's a position right there. And to honor him is to treat him as he is in a class all by himself. There is no other. Like we sang last week, there is no rival. There is no equal. And praying from that posture changes our position, amen, of our hearts. It, it does. We can no longer treat the Lord like some genie in a lamp. Our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Holy, holy, holy. It just means completely pure and set apart from anything that's ever, ever, ever existed. 
pure and holy be your name. And when you see the Lord like that, you can't just approach the throne and pray and hit some bell every time you ask the Lord for something. God, give me. Ding. God, I want you to do this. Ding. God, help my family. Ding. It's so much more than that. When you get a glimpse of majesty. Write this down. It's on your notes. To pray with power. We must first stay a while on the front porch of his splendor. To pray with power, we must first, first stay a while on the front porch of his splendor. Man, before you jump in and just hit that bell, just sit at the feet of Jesus and acknowledge him for who he is. The fact that you even have breath in your lungs. Dom said in the morning, he, you know, he rolls over and he sees the gift of the wife. And that causes a revelation to, to produce a response. That is worship where revelation meets response. And it's okay to let God reveal his goodness to you and respond in just silent submission and prayer. Just sit at the feet a while of his splendor. And see, that takes our lives to a place of allegiance. Where we acknowledge his rule. Where we acknowledge his holiness. And then we commit to living pure lives before the king. That's what it does. Because we don't want to embarrass the family. An audience of one. If you want to know God's purpose for your life. You must be committed to his hallowed name. His holy name. See when the U.S. Olympic athletes. Think about this. When the U.S. Olympic athletes are awarded the gold medal, they go to a medal ceremony. They don't get to choose what song is played when they put that medal around their neck, do they? They don't, they don't get to say, like, I want I, the tiger, baby. Play that when you put that medal around my neck. No, because the standard has been set. Because they represent the nation of America. So what's played? The national anthem. And they stand there in reverence because that's what is pledged to their allegiance. That's what they're pledging their allegiance to. And it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a heart. The reason that template is there is because it's a heartfelt desire that we want his heavenly will. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, in heaven, it is the perfect will of God. The will of God isn't thwarted by sin at all. It's there. So when you're praying that, what you're doing is you're saying, God, I desire, my heart's position is to desire that perfect will in my life while I'm here on earth. Knowing that God's will is not limited by our, our obedience, but it draws us, it brings us, in focus when we are praying that God's full and complete rule over the world will be done. And God start that through me. Help me right the wrongs. That's the template. Our Father. Abba. Our Father who is in heaven. That's where he is. Holy is your name. That will be done on earth. That kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the fourth thing. It kind of moves on to verse 11. The fourth thing is this. Prayer is a posture of dependence. 
If you're with me, say, I am. It's a posture of dependence. It's getting good. It's ramping up. I know you paid for the whole seat, but you're only going to use the edge on this next point. Okay, I get it. Look at verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. It's short. You've heard it. You've heard it prayed. You may have prayed it yourself. You may have said that. Give us today our daily bread. See, it can never be about us until it's first about Him. See, the ringing the bell didn't happen until verse 11. 9 and 10 is all about repositioning our, the posture of our heart and our motives to Him before we ever start dinging the bell. It can never be about us until it's first about Him. God is the Father of all things, so absolutely we should bring our dependence to Him. That's not what it's saying. And don't bring those dependence, maybe necessarily, first out of the gate. Think about His holy name for a minute. Reacclimate your needs and your will to His plans. You can seek God and you can ask Him to meet those daily needs so you can fulfill His plan on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the key. The key is His plans. It's what He wants through our lives. From last week, we had a line that said, the goal of our life is the fame of His name is our aim. The fame of His name is our aim. Tony Evans says it well about this prayer of dependence. He says, God never establishes a program he doesn't intend to fund. Amen? He sets, he sets it up. He's going to make it happen. And this is the beauty. This is why you're only using the edge. And I know you've been waiting for this all week. It's a short verse. Give us today our daily bread. That is really interesting, that wording, right? Give us today our day bread. Like it, seems, it seems like it's redundant. Why is there two dailies there? I'm glad you asked. I know you're thinking it. You're about to explode. I know. Tell me. What's the deal? I'm about to tell you. This term, daily bread, is very unique to only this verse. 66 books of the Bible. Thousands of verses. It's unique. It's only found right here. Daily, the word daily. The word daily is found nowhere else in the Greek language. It's like some toddler just makes up some word and nobody knows what in the world it's doing there. Gibberish. There's no translation to it because there's no comparison to it. It's a mystery word. Give us today our daily bread. Does that daily, does that mean today? Daily bread, does that mean like for each day? Is that for tomorrow? Does it mean a certain amount that we need to stay alive? Like give us today enough for me to live. Why is daily there? It's so mysterious because after a lot of research by, by people, linguists that are far smarter than I'll ever be, which is not very hard. It's not an amount, and it's not a time. It's an idea. Get that. Daily, give us today our daily bread is an idea. It's so mysterious because it's only found right here. And what it does, it's an idea that means this, having comfort in something that never ceases. That's the word daily there. Give us today our daily. So actually, the wording, not in English, but the original wording reads like this. 
give us today peace in the bread that doesn't run out. Give us peace in the bread that doesn't run out. That changes the meaning, doesn't it? That, that, like, that totally brings it to life right there. See, one of the most basic human fears is the dread of not having enough money to survive. It's fearful. It will put you on lockdown, won't it? You go, we all go through that. Will I have enough? I mean, I'm managing now. But what about the future? What if I'm unable to work? What if the kids get sick? How will we survive? What if? What if? What if? What if? It will grip you and it will, it will choke you, your heart, to the grave, won't it? The what if. I'm going to be honest. It, I struggle with that. I, I struggle with, even though I know the promises of God, I've tried to memorize and hide his, hide his word in my heart. But the fear of the unknown, if I'm not careful, it will grip me and it will hold me and it will paralyze my heart. Just being honest, being very transparent. If I'm not careful, if I don't have my heart pointed in the right place. It's one of the deepest, in this, it's one of the most crippling fears of the human spirit is not having enough to eat. Most of us have never even come close to being starved to death. But we say that right all the time. I'm starving to death. Most, I, mean, I, would, I would be willing to say most of us have never been really hungry. And that's a gift from God. That's a gift every day. But it's there. That fear is there. And it's right here that Jesus' words are so powerful. Give us today our daily bread. So what Jesus is doing in this template of prayer is he's reminding us. Here it is. He's reminding us to pray for the release from that fear. That's the context. Pray this day for daily bread. Is to ask God to give you the peace to know that he will give us what we need. When we need it. And then tomorrow do the same thing. So that we may live not gripped by the what if. That's verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. And when we see the bigger picture of this, give us today our, it's plural, right? When we see the plurality of that, what that does is that allows us to be a conduit to other people. To allow God to help us meet the needs because it's our bread to other people. Mother Teresa told a story and she was serving you guys know Mother Teresa she was an incredible conduit for the things of God in Calcutta India some of the poorest people that have ever walked the earth and she tells a story of a man that came to her and he said I know of a family of a mother that has eight children and they are starving can you do anything about it and so Mother Teresa took some rice and she goes to that home and she goes in and she can see the shining of hunger on their faces of those children. And she gives the mother the rice and the mother immediately divides the rice in half and disappears out of the side of her home to go next door. And she comes back and she was empty handed 
And so Mother Teresa said, where have you gone? And she said, they are hungry too. And see, she said she didn't have the courage to ask her how she knew that they were hungry. She knew that she would be willing to give because that was this mother's heart. But how did she know that they were hungry too? She knew because in the midst of her own struggles and her own starvation of her children, she also knew that there was someone else that was in need because she knew. She, she didn't know the Lord's Prayer, but the, the template and the desire was in her heart, knowing that give us, us today our daily bread. It's not give, a, give me today my bread. It's us. It's being able to be a conduit of the Lord. It's our Father who is in heaven. Holy be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today what? Our daily bread. It's not a right. That bread is a gift. It's not a right. We've not created it. And I want you to know that everything you have, everything you have has been given to you by the creator to be used as a conduit to make his name is the aim. The fame of his name is our aim. Amen. And that's the point of this prayer. The point of the prayer is to have this posture of dependence so that we can be joyful to live the life that Jesus is leading us to. I'm going to tell you, you may have a need, but in the midst of that need, if you will take and you will meet another need, it will alleviate the pressure of what if of the need that you're in. Right? It just makes you feel good. It, it, it anchors your heart. When, you have the, when you're broken, you step into somebody else's brokenness, your brokenness will begin to heal. That's what Jesus is doing. That's the template. That's why he says prayer is a private commitment. Prayer is a personal connection. Prayer is a pledge of allegiance. Prayer is a posture of dependence. And then he wraps it up in verses 12 and 13. And this is the last thing on your notes. Prayer is a plan of action. Forgive and fight. So sit, step and sit and stand and feast and forgive and fight. The template is there. Let's look at verse 12 and 13. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. It's beautiful. The flow is so beautiful. Because these last two verses bring us to a place of freedom from the stranglehold that sin and death can put on the heart of the one that's praying. Because to be the one in 21 who prays with power, we have to be released for some things. We have to have a plan of action. I've come to give you life and give it to the full. So in order for God to fill you up and to have your prayers with power, you have to be able to get rid of some things that are holding you back. That's what he's saying. He's like life can can bring such harshness, harshness that in our flesh, you know, there are times where you don't even feel like praying. I don't know, maybe you're more spiritual than me. 
But there's, there are times where I'm like, just forget it. I am so burdened, and I am so heavy laden. I'm so broken. And I'm ashamed to say it, I don't even feel like praying right now. You ever been there? And this is why the Lord's prayer, that's the point. That's why it ends with this call to release those hard things in life that prevent us from connecting with God. And then run from those sinful tendencies that distract and detach and destroy godly perspective. Look at verse 12 and 13. It says it. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so Jesus is saying, hey disciples, you have to pray like this. And the idea here is, is asking God to forgive us from unfulfilled obligations. The debts. My translation uses debts. There's also other translations that uses sin or trespasses. But it's all the same idea. It's asking God to release us from unfulfilled obligations. Those things that we have left knowingly undone. Debt to God. Debt. Things that we have left undone in the eyes of God. And that's sin. That's trespasses against His standard. You know, maybe we've not reached out in compassion to a neighbor. That's a debt in the eyes of God. We've left something undone. Y'all with me? Maybe, maybe you've lied. Maybe you have been deceptive in something. That is something that's left undone. Maybe you've lost control of your tongue. Maybe you've ignored God's voice. This is saying those are debts. Those are areas that our commitment to God is incomplete. And that's the heart of the prayer. And so, as God forgives our debt, those areas that we fall short of in expectation, we are to also offer that same forgiveness to those people that did not meet our commitment and our standards and our expectation. Forgive those things as God has done that for us. Even if they don't acknowledge any wrongdoing. That's tough. But what you have to remember is there is a voice from the cross that echoes across history saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Those are the words of Jesus on the cross. See, Pilate, the high priest, the soldiers, they offered no apology to Jesus. Yet, in the midst of their brutality to him, he said, forgive them, Father, for unmet obligations that they don't even know they're doing. Man, that's powerful. See, that's not a prayer of weakness. No, that is a prayer of an awesome voice of strong strength in the presence of God. It takes, it takes a man card. It takes a woman card. To be able to release somebody from unfulfilled obligations because of the release that God has given to you. So what these verses are talking about, 12 and 13, is this. It's acknowledge your unfulfilled commitment to God. Release others from that same hurt. And then fight the devil with everything you've got. That's how he ties this thing up. At the very end. 
And so what I want us to know is Church 213. It's when we ask God to do something, you know, to release us. We're asking him not to bring us into, into a temptation. That requires us to face some facts. That requires us to, to, to see that Satan is smarter than us. He has been studying the humanity to trip us up for, for, for centuries. And so verse 13 says, And do not, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that prayer at the very end is asking God to guard your hearts and to keep you from getting into situations that will devour you living a righteous life before the Lord. And pray that he will deliver you from the temptations that you are not ready to handle. I don't do good with high pressure sales. I just don't. Maybe maybe I just want to please people and buy stuff. So if you ask me quickly to try to buy something from you, I'm probably going to say no. It's not because I don't love you. It's just I know my limits. So if you're selling rainbow vacuum cleaners, uh uh-uh. I ain't doing it. I'll just go on eBay and buy one used. Because I know my limits. I know the propensity of my heart to just want to buy it to make you happy because I want to be friends. So Lord, don't lead me into temptation, but instead deliver me. This is how you connect with God with power in 2021. This is how you can be the one in 2021 who prays with power. It's on the bottom of your notes. It's this. It's step away for focus. It's sit at the Father's feet. Stand in allegiance. Feast on His bread. Forgive like Jesus and fight the devil. Very simple recipe. That's the template right here of how to connect with a holy God. How to pray with power. How to be able to get all the good out of my will and out of his purposes for my life. (coughs) In my first life, I was a rec minister and built ball fields. It seems like a whole nother life, you know. It's like, what in the world went on back then? But one of the things I noticed on, on one of our football fields is one of the end zones was starting to turn brown in the summer. And so I knew that something had gone on. That, that sprinkler system wasn't working the way it was intended to work. And so I began to do a little bit of troubleshooting. And what I discovered was the timer that was supposed to control that zone at night was not communicating with the solenoid that was down there toward the end of the end zone. So I began to work my way from the timer to that solenoid, that control switch mechanism. And what I discovered was this. The wire was disconnected in the line. And because there was a disconnection in the line, that grass began to get brown. And where... There was once green grass. It, become, it became more and more brown as the water was neglected to be put on that zone. See, there was nothing wrong with the water. The water was there. There was nothing wrong with the timer. The timer was aware, there. The issue was that communication had carry, carried no power. 
and see what I believe is happening in the lives of a lot of believers is their lives are turning brown. There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no green grass that once flourished in certain areas. There's no abundance that was there. But it's not because there's no water in your life because the Bible says that in Christ we have been, we have been set by um, a streams of living water. There is, there is access to constant abundance in life. See, the problem isn't power either. Because in the Holy Spirit, God has promised us that He will equip us with power to get the water out of the well. The problem, y'all know what the problem is. The problem's in the connection. So if there's brown things in your life, if there's no abundance there, you've lost the ability to connect your will with God's source through the power of prayer. I don't want you to be caught off guard by it. It's nothing to be scared of. It is a beautiful privilege of bringing your life, your will, your heart to the feet of the Father. It's personal, so you can just step into that place of focus. Oh, man. It's a good connection. It's a private connection. It's a prayer of dependence, right? God, give me what I need. And you can posture your life into that of allegiance. You can, you can feast on his bread. And then you can forgive and you can fight. You can forgive like Jesus and you can fight the devil. And so when you take your life, you take your voices to the feet of the Father, you can pray as Jesus said pray. Our Father, who are in heaven, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give me today the peace of daily bread. Forgive me of my debts as I forgive those that have had those unfulfilled commitments to me. Deliver me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. For yours, the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. Woo! Amen. It's a template of prayer. And so what I want to invite us to do is to have that posture of dependence. I want to invite you, and it's okay. I want to invite you, Dad. I want to invite you to bring your family down here and pray that prayer over them. God, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know what I need. And I know what I need to do. Help me to accomplish that this morning. I, I invite you to bring your family down here if you're able. If not, you sit right where you are and pray. Maybe you're single in here this morning. Maybe you're not here with your entire family. But I want to invite you to spread out in this place and let's cover it with the prayers of his people. Is it different? It's different. Is it scary? Yes, it's scary. Some of you watched scary stuff last night on TV. Don't let that hold you back. So let's stand together as we pray. God, you were good to us this morning. God, you were faithful in this place. God, as we open the invitation, I invite you to move in the lives of your people. So, Lord, the prayers that are brought this morning to this place, 
God, I pray that they would come in line with your will. That your will would be done. And dependence would be laid, Lord. Laid here. And allegiances would be made. If there's someone in here that is unsure of their salvation. To be reconciled and redeemed for their sin to be forgiven by your son's blood. God, if they never apply that to their account. I pray, I pray Lord, that this morning you would give them courage and their conviction. And they would meet me right here in the front in a place of surrender. Knowing that power comes through surrender. Lord, thank you for surrendering on our behalf. Bleeding on that cross for our account. And for the hope that's found in the empty tomb, Lord. As we say, Abba, Father. And we put our what ifs right into your lap. We pray that this morning with power and with hope. With eager expectation and with assurance. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said.